right, tonight we're going to be in Acts chapter 9. Yesterday, I had the opportunity to take about 30 people down to Maybank, Texas, which is just a small community in East Texas. And what it was, it was a youth missions trip as we close out the summer. We wanted to do something, uh, and we have a lot of fun activities. We go play video games at arcades, and we uh, slap junior hires and other fun things like that. But we, we have all those fun activities, but me as youth director, I just feel that every once in a while we ought to go do something that's in the Bible. I don't ever remember seeing Chuck E. Cheese in there, unless it's in one of the portions I haven't read yet. But I, I do believe that going strictly to tell people about Christ and tell people that a church cares about them is a very good cause. And so yesterday, that's what we did. We drove down Friday night, and we stayed the night at Brother T.L. Taylor's house. He's the pastor of the church, and the boys stayed at the grandparents' house. And we had a good time of fellowship and fun. But we ended up uh, that next morning leaving out about 9.30, and we went and we knocked on doors, and we passed out about 800 invitations to church. And we knocked on 500 doors. And thanks be to the Lord, today they had eight visitors in church. And that, that is an amazing thing. We saw, there were some great stories that came from the day yesterday on our way back. You know, as church vans are prone to do, we had a blowout. And uh, blowouts are okay in January. 70 degrees, you know, Christmas time, and it's 70 degrees outside in Texas, you know. And yesterday, I think it was about 169 is what my phone said, or that's what I felt like. We were crawling under that van, and, you know, Brother Luke, he's a go-getter. Brother Gerald, he's a go-getter, and, you know, I am a great supervisor, so... <laughs> but what, yesterday, we were working on that van. It was funny, because we were all trying to get in our hands in there. And at one point, if you know Brother Luke at all, this is hilarious. He goes, all right, guys, it's my turn. Uh, He's like, I, 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 it's hard for me to sit back and watch. And I go, Brother Luke, I think that's all of us. And he said, yeah, but I'm the one on the short end of the stick right now. <laughs> and so, man, we were trying to get that tire on there. It took us about an hour. We finally got the tire off, and we realized that the spare tire doesn't actually fit on the van. Amen. Amen. So I don't know who in my youth department has been praying for patience, but they're going to be in trouble when I find out. But uh, it was a great time. We ended up getting the, the van taken care of, and, and we got back a little later than we thought. But all in all, it was an amazing thing. Brother T.L. had those visitors, as I said. And, and that's just a testimony to uh, the old way still works. And we don't need rock bands. In fact, I, I believe that doesn't bring honor to the Lord when you get rock bands involved. But I believe knocking on somebody's door and telling them there's a church in town that cares about them works. Amen. And I promise it doesn't just work in Maybank. It works in Joshua, too. I've seen it for myself. And so please, please, as we go towards the end of this year, make sure we're remaining to stick by the stuff and keeping the main thing the main thing. And I hope that this Saturday when you have an opportunity or this Friday when you're at work or this Thursday when you find yourself face-to-face -face with somebody who needs the Savior, you tell them there's a church that cares about them. You tell them there's a church that has some very average preaching, but will love them to death. All right? Acts chapter 9 is where we're at tonight. Now, if you remember, last week we spoke about Saul's conversion. We sp spoke about how he was riding or walking his way to Damascus, and a bright light shone about him, and 
And really, I always believed there was a donkey involved in the story, but you, if you read the Bible, there's not necessarily a donkey or a horse of any kind. He could have been walking, but we know that when the light shone down upon him, it knocked him to the ground. And we had a good time discussing that, but this week we're not going to necessarily be speaking on Saul or even Paul, but we're going to be speaking to a person who had a tremendous ministry in his life. Acts chapter 9, we'll start reading in verse 10. The Bible says, And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarshish. For behold, he prayeth. And hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way. For he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house. And putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose and was baptized. When he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you tonight asking for your hand upon the service. Lord, I beg for your hand upon me. Lord, I pray that as I've sought you in private time, that you would make me a humble, willing, and useful vessel. Father, I pray that you would speak through me, direct me, and guide me. But Lord, it is just as imperative tonight as you open the hearts of the hearers. Lord, we know that people throughout your word hear your word but fail to do it. And so, Lord, I pray that the people in the audience tonight would hear your word and react upon it accordingly as the Holy Spirit of God moves them. Lord, we pray your blessing upon the preaching tonight. I pray in your Son's precious name. Amen. Let me ask you, have you ever misunderstood something? Like somebody said something, or there was something that you saw, and you misunderstood it, and you didn't realize at the time that you did, but then later came to realize that you failed to understand what was trying to be conveyed. One time, my family and I went to the restaurant known as the Riata in Fort Worth. And maybe you've been there. It's a tremendous place to eat. It's much, price, uh, much more expensive than you would probably normally spend on a meal, for we're more, tendence, uh, we're more uh, liable to go to uh, McDonald's and eat off the dollar menu, amen? A McDouble is probably the greatest thing since mankind, besides Lord Jesus, of course. But uh, we went to the Riata. We were celebrating a special occasion, and so we found ourselves there. And we were looking at this menu, and I don't know if this happens to you, but when you go to a nice restaurant, 
The, the menus say more than you know what they're saying. Like you, you have trouble understanding the menu, and I found myself in this place, but I ordered uh, Old Faithful. Just give me a steak, amen? You just, just give me a cow. Cut it right off. Put it on the grill, medium rare, don't overcook that bad boy, then it becomes a burger. I want medium rare, I want a steak. But that night, my mom decided she was going to get cute, if you will. And she found on the menu a buffalo burger. And so she ordered this buffalo burger. We thought that was a little odd, because mom doesn't like burgers really that much, and she doesn't really like buffalo wings, and so she ordered it. As it came around... She realized that what she had ordered was not at all a burger that was flavored with any type of buffalo sauce, but it was really a burger from the back end of a buffalo. The ones that the Native Americans hunted. Yes, you're right. And that was the buffalo that, that they were talking about. My mom was like, hey, this isn't what I ordered. And the waitress was like, are you buffalo burger? Yeah, that's, that's what I said, but this is not what I thought I ordered. She misunderstood that. As a freshman at college, I was... Uh, going through town, and I was trying to find places to apply at to maybe see if I could get a job. And I saw this one store. It was uh, in a strip center there, a strip mall. And so I went down this side of the strip mall going in asking if they were hiring. And so I went to the next one and the next one and the next one. I found myself come to the store called BevMo. It looked like a retail store. It was a very large store. And I walked in, and I said, uh, yeah, and the, the electric doors opened in front of me, the automatic doors, and I walked down and said, uh, are you all hiring? And as I looked around, I saw that there was nothing but alcohol sold in the entire store. BevMo was abbreviation for beverages and more. I don't know what the more was, but there was a lot of beverages, I'll say that. And we were, I, I was standing there, and they said, well, you have to be 21 to work here. And I said, well, good. I didn't want to work here anyway. The Lord loves you. <laughs> yeah, I, I misunderstood completely the sign. Tonight I want to talk to you about this. One of the most misunderstood terms in the entire realm of Christianity, and that is this. Ministry. Ministry. I can remember as a young man, 12 years old, being called to ministry. But can I say that every single person in this room tonight, without exception, is called to the ministry. Ananias was, and so were you. But we have misunderstood the term ministry. And we don't understand exactly what it means. So that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Three things that we misunderstand about ministry. First of all, I want you to notice in verse number 10, the misunderstanding of the selection of the ministry. Verse number 10, the Bible says, And there was a certain disciple at Damascus. I want you to notice, first of all, we misunderstand the title. Look at the verse 10 there. And there was a certain disciple. Did you know that in the Word of God, the Bible specifically has three names for a pastor? Three different names. They are as follows. First of all, the term bishop. And no doubt we've heard that term before, even in, in false doctrines. But the term bishop describes the office of a pastor comes from the word episkopos. It means an overseer. That term is found in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. and is also found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 2. It says a bishop must be therefore blameless. And so that is a description or a name of a pastor. Secondly, there is the elder. That comes from the term presbyteros. 
presbyteros. Now that sounds a little bit like presbytery. And so that is a elder, someone who, it speaks of a pastor's uh, spiritual maturity. And we know that a pastor can be a young man because Paul writes to Timothy, Timothy, let no man despise thy youth. The Bible specifically says that a pastor is not to be a novice or young in the faith, but a man can be young and be a pastor. It just means that he cannot be spiritually immature. You see, the fact of the matter is it doesn't matter if you're 80 or if you're 8. Some people don't know the Lord. And so as a pastor, one of the qualifications and one of the offices assigned to me and to other pastors is that we spiritually know the Lord. There's a difference in knowing the Lord and knowing His Word. A lot of people know the Word. The devil knows the Word. But I promise you, he doesn't know the Lord intimately. And so thirdly, there is the term pastor. And that's the one we're very familiar with. We call preacher, pastor. And that comes from the term poimen. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It speaks of a shepherd who takes care of the sheep. You say, Brother Andrew, why are you boring me with all the names of a pastor? Because I draw your attention to verse number 10, the term pastor, the term elder, the term bishop is just not used. What's the term? Disciple. Disciple. See, Ananias was not starting a church somewhere. Ananias had never felt the call of God on his life to preach the word of God. But he was a minister. He was a disciple. You know that it was the world that assigned the term Christian to us? It was not us. they, They called us Christians, but you know what the term the Lord Jesus used? Disciple. It says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciple, that ye love one another. If you will be my disciples, you will continue in my word, the Lord Jesus says. So Jesus never used the term Christian. What we do is we skip over the term discipleship, and as soon as someone is saved, they're automatically a Christian. But it was disciples who were Christians. See, if you're saved tonight, you have a responsibility. And it doesn't really matter if you're called to preach. And it doesn't really matter if you have a stutter as Moses did. It doesn't really matter if you have problems seeing like maybe Paul did. It doesn't matter your disabilities or your inabilities. What matters is the call of God is just as much placed upon your life as it is mine. We are to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the shame is that if Ananias had used the old excuse that we use all the time, oh, well, I just don't feel called to preach. Jesus never gave us a choice. He says, if you will be my disciples, you will care for others. You will care about their eternal destination. You will weep. You will cry over the fact that there are people lost and dying on their way to hell. You will care about them because you will be my disciple. Are you a disciple of the Lord Jesus tonight? Or are you just a Christian? Because there's a difference. You see, there's a spot on Facebook to mark Christian. I don't know if you spend much time on Facebook, but there's a lot of Christians on Facebook, but there's very few disciples. And Ananias was a disciple. And this title was that he was in the ministry, and his ministry was to a man by the name of Saul. 
not only do I want you to notice the title, I want you to notice the terror. Look in verse number 10 of chapter 9. The Bible says, And there was a certain disciple. I want you to notice where he lived. At Damascus. This is important because in our study last week, we looked at where Paul wanted to go to capture Christians. Look in verse number 2 of chapter 9. Paul, the Bible says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. So here's a question for you. What's the reason Saul is going to Damascus? To put Christians in prison. To take them captive. To snuff out this false doctrine called Christianity. Saul's literally on his way as an assassin. And the Lord knocks him down on the ground, and we know the story of Jesus talking to him and saying, Saul, Saul, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Saul, why are you doing what you're doing? Saul says, Who art thou, Lord? And then Saul continues to Damascus, but that's what the Lord told him to do. Now there's a man living in Damascus. What's his name? Ananias. And the Lord appears to him and says, Ananias, I want you to go and I want you to find Saul. Now what was Saul on his way to Damascus to do? Put guys like Ananias in jail. That's why Ananias says, Lord, uh, I've heard a little about this Saul fella. Uh, he, uh, he has the ability to put me in prison. He has the ability to even kill me if he would please. We've already studied that lesson. And so, could you imagine the fear that must be going through Ananias' heart right now? Can I say, while there are no trained assassins behind those doors that we're knocking, it's nonetheless scary? There is a, a somewhat intimidating thing about going and laying yourself out on the line to see if someone were to reject you. As I said yesterday, we took about 30 people down to Maybank and we knocked on doors and and if you ask the teenagers, there was funny story after crazy story after strange story. But one story I want to share with you is the story of one of our girls. It was Whitney Klein. And she was walking the streets, door knocking, just working hard, slaving away in the heat of the day. And she was knocking on doors. She came to a door, and the garage was open, but the door was closed. And she knocked on the door, and nobody came to the door. As she turned the corner to leave the house, she looked inside the garage, and she saw something on the garage wall. Now, I want to share with you tonight what she saw. Brother JT, can you flash that picture up on the screen? Now, I, it's hard to make out in this picture, but Brother JT, we go to the next one? Uh, uh, go back, I'm sorry. We already zoomed in. So you see right here, now this has a handprint in red, hopefully paint, uh, and it has scary written on the wall. There is uh, 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 marks coming down over to the side. It says, Help with marks coming down. And it looks as if someone were m murdered inside this garage. And so Whitney, instead of running, decides to pull out her cell phone. <laughs> good thinking, Whitney. You're a sharp one. Miss Ashley, you, you raised a good one for sure. And as Whitney's taking this picture, you want to know what happens next? The person who did not open the door but was home 
runs out and goes, I don't know what you're taking a picture of, but you better get out of here. And when he's like, wait, 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 the lighting's bad. Hold on. No. <laughs> Whitney said she was scared to death. Now, I hope nobody was murdered in that garage. And I'm thankful that Whitney was not murdered in that garage. But that was scary for Whitney. But you know what's scary? Is knocking on a door, not knowing whether you're going to see a child, not knowing if you're going to see a, a huge burly man, not knowing if you're going to see a woman, knocking on a door and saying, uh, uh, hi, my name's Andrew Wolfenbarger. And they laugh every time I get to that punchline. <laughs> my name's Andrew, and I'm from Joshua Bears Church, and I would like to invite you. For some reason, it's scary. There is somewhat an intimidating factor about it. But can I say that the Lord Jesus came to this earth willing to be rejected of men? Do you know Isaiah chapter 53, uh, chapter 53, verse 3, literally says, and he was rejected by men? So if Jesus Christ himself came to this earth willing to face the rejection of this world, would you not think it makes sense for his disciples to face the same rejection he did? It's scary. It's scary to knock on a door. It's scary to share your faith. It's scary because we're scared of rejection. But if Ananias did not summon the faith this day, I promise you we would not have the book of Romans. If Ananias did not summon his faith and, and, and become victorious over the fear that he was feeling, we would not have a church here tonight. Because his obedience was instrumental in Saul's faith. I wonder who's waiting on you. I wonder as you cower down in your little shell and you say, God, I know you've laid it on my heart to speak to them. Lord, I know it's, it's your desire for me to share my faith, but I'm just a little scared. Do you know the Bible says, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind? We use that verse a lot. We use it uh, uh, when we're going through the valley. But specifically, Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. That's the next verse. I, I believe that God has made us overcomers. I believe we're victorious. I believe that we have the power of God living inside of us. But that verse saying we have not been given the spirit of fear is specifically in reference to our evangelism. And us being able to tell the story that's affected us. It's scary. But we so often misunderstand the office and we just lay it on the pastor. Boy, isn't that what we're paying the preacher for? I mean, we're making the big bucks too, aren't we, Dad? <laughs> you don't even know. <laughs> it's not our responsibility to share the gospel with your friends. There are people that you live by every single day that I'll never lay an eye on. And maybe the Lord is using you in the ministry of sharing the name of His precious Son. Ananias was no preacher. Ananias was not called to full-time service. But he was a disciple in the ministry of the Lord. And tonight, the same call lies at your doorstep. 
Will you be a disciple in the ministry of the Lord? Secondly, I want you to show. I want to show you one thing that we under, misunderstand often. We misunderstand uh, the selection and we misunderstand the serving. Look here in verse number eleven. The the Lord comes to Ananias in verse number ten. The Bible says, and it's a vision. Ananias, uh, the Lord says, Ananias, and Ananias says, Behold, I am here, Lord. Verse 11, And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarshish. For behold, he prayed. We often misunderstand the call. You say, what do you mean? I mean, as I read these verses, I fail to see a question. This is a declarative statement. It is the Lord saying, Ananias, I've got a duty for you to fulfill. I've got a job for you. So Ananias, do it. We'll read it again, verse 11. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the street which is called Straight. And inquire in the house of Judas. Do y'all hear where the Lord ever asks him? Do y'all ever hear where Ananias is given an option? He says, Ananias, I need you somewhere else than where you are. Ananias, arise and go. How is it then that we have all the excuses in the world for why we don't go? As I read our commission... I don't see a question in there either. As I read the Lord telling us to go out and to preach the gospel to every Christian, I I just, maybe I'm reading over it, but I don't see where he even asks politely. He's our Lord. And he says, I've got a job for you. Now go do it. We misunderstand the call. We think it's our option, not our obligation. But if the Lord saved you, you are now what is called a witness. You know what a witness is? In the court of law, a witness is someone who has seen something, has heard something, or has felt something. And then they come and they tell what they've seen, what they've felt, or what they've heard. You know what you are? You're a witness on the court of law of this old sinful world. And Jesus says, you're a disciple, you're my witness, now tell what you've seen. Tell what you've heard. Tell what you've felt. I'm so scared to death of Christians that don't feel their salvation. I'm scared to death of Christians who haven't heard the Lord Jesus as a preacher preaches the word of God. I'm scared to death of Christians who have not heard the call and the movement of God upon their life to share the testimony of the Lord. I'm scared to death for them. Because once we become a Christian, we become a witness. It would be more scary to me if I had to go talk to somebody about uh, something I knew nothing of. Like, when, when somebody starts talking about cars around me, like, oh, I just got a 457 big block on the Chevy on the hood with a converter catalytic. <laughs> I'm like, that sounds awesome. Is that what you got at IHOP yesterday? Or <laughs> I just have no clue about cars. I learned uh, a while ago there's a battery. And I've learned over time that that battery starts the starter. 
And that starter then, now I'm, I'm past it. <laughs> I don't want to go any farther because somebody's going to come up. You were wrong, Brother Andrew. I'm admitting to you I know nothing of cars. And so when people begin to talk about cars, I said, yeah, well, hope you all enjoy this conversation without me. I say, hey, have you seen any big deer lately? <laughs> I know nothing about them. But I do know something about my Lord. I felt the day he moved me to salvation. I felt the day when a preacher preached and conviction fell on me so hard, it felt like somebody had a vice clamp on my heart. I felt many times over as a preacher preached and the Lord said, you need to get right. Or you need to get righter. And I moved those days. The Lord's not asking you to do something that's impossible. He's asking you to tell what he's already done in your life. We misunderstand the call. The Bible says, go into all nations and preach the gospel to every creature. The Bible says, uh, uh, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. There's no question. It's your call. And Ananias understood, Lord, if you want me to go, if you have a plan outside of my comfort zone, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to step there. We throw rocks at Peter, but at least he had enough faith to go where he was uncomfortable. And Ananias did too. We misunderstand the call. Secondly, I want you to notice, we misunderstand the companionship. Verse number 12 is where this is found. The Bible says, And hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in, and putting his hand on him that he might receive his son. So the Lord's got this whole plan orchestrated even before he's talked to Ananias. He comes to Ananias and says, Ananias, I need you to go talk to a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. You ever heard of him? <laughs> Ananias says, Whoa, I've heard some bad things about that one. And the Lord says, but here's the thing, Ananias, I've already been dealing with him. I've already talked to him. And I've showed him that you're going to be coming, and I've showed him... I've already prepared him for this meeting. And then I says, well, Lord, if, if you've got it all planned out, I'll go. The other day, as we went on our trip to um, Maybank, it's about two hours from here. And we took two uh, uh, shuttle vans, and we were on our way, and I had gotten everything from my luggage to my wife. I got to tag, drag her along sometimes, you know. I had gotten the vans ready, and I, I got them parked out there under the awning. We cut the flyers. We, uh, we cut a finger. That was good. Uh, uh, we, we, we got all of it together, and so we headed off. I get five minutes from pulling into the, uh, into the parking lot there, the house, and I realize I have left a thousand tracks that say First Missionary Baptist Church of Maybank, and a thousand uh, invites that say First Missionary Baptist Church of Maybank in Joshua. I am two hours away with 30 people saying, let's go soul winning, and I don't have anything for them to pass out. I didn't know what I was going to do. I had forgot probably the most important thing to us going soul winning was information about the church we were soul winning for. I'm a terrible youth director. I, I, don't know, I don't know how y'all keep me around. I don't know why y'all do that. 
You wanna know what I, I, I feel sad is most of the time we have our tracks, but we forget the most important thing. The Holy Spirit of God. We take our Soul Winners New Testament, or for some of us super spiritual people, we take our family Bible, we carry in our wheelbarrow. We go door to door. Wife's got the stroller and we've got the wheelbarrow. We go knock on doors and say, Hi, friend. Here, let me give you this information about my church. And all the while, we fail to, forget, uh, fail to remember that the Holy Spirit of God is just as important to us knocking on that door as the Bible that we have in our hands or the tract that we're passing in. The Bible says, all power is given to me. Jesus Christ says that. All power is given to me. You know why he says that? Because then he says, ye shall receive power. He even tells the disciples, after they've heard of his resurrection, after they've heard he's come back, everything was true. He says, tarry ye here at Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. What's he saying? I don't need powerless witnesses. I don't need witnesses without my help. See, the fact of the matter is, the, 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 the problem is too big for our hands. It's too out of control for us. But I've got good news, as scary as it may be, as daunting as the task may be, Jesus says, you go in my power. And I have all power. I know it's a scary thing to lay yourself out on the line to say to somebody that you've worked side by side with for 15 years, I know it's scary to look at them and say, hey, has anybody ever taken time to show you about Jesus? But remember, as scary as it is, he has promised he will never leave us nor forsake us. And we have his promise specifically that when we go to share the gospel with somebody, the Holy Spirit will work in their heart as the Word of God works in their heart. We misunderstand. The reason it's so scary is because we misunderstand we're not going at it alone. And we always say, go partners two by two. I don't know why. I'm sure it's a biblical pattern somewhere. I know the disciples did it, but we all go two by two to the door. But really we ought to be going three by two. The Holy Spirit of God going with us. But often we fail to remember that He's there with us. And we fail to summon His help. And so I lay at your feet the reason we aren't effective evangelists. I'm giving you the reason as to why we don't see more conversions. Because we have powerless witnesses. Let me ask you this. If you have soul, went soul winning in the last year, if you have shared your faith with somebody in the last year, and I hope that everyone in here has, but if you have, did you take time out to say, Lord, be working in their heart before I ever get there? You know what would have happened if Ananias had showed up to Saul and, he, and the Lord wasn't doing anything in his heart? Same thing that happened to Stephen. Same thing that happened to countless Christians in Saul's ministry. But this day, the Lord had been moving in Saul's heart, and it was perfect timing. When's the last time? We are powerless evangelists. I'm reading a book right now by Charles Finney called Experiencing the Presence of God. And he talks about being so filled with the power of God that he walks into businesses and Literally, the sound of the machinery is too loud, but people lay eyes on him and revival breaks out because he was a man filled with the power of God. But we're powerless witnesses. 
And we misunderstand that as we go, the Lord has promised His power to go with us. I'm going to hope we're seeking it, hope we're praying for it. Finally, I want you to notice this, a misunderstanding of success. Now, in the big scheme of things, we misunderstand successful ministry. We see pastors who pastor churches of 15,000, and we say, wow, what is he doing for the Lord? Wow, what a successful minister. But we're, we have a false perception of what success is. I want you to notice two things about success. I want you to notice the meaning of success. Like a lot of things, the world has seeped into our minds as to what success is, haven't they? They paint this picture of the American dream. We hear that term often. What's the American dream? To work hard and then to enjoy the fruits of our labor. We make enough money so that one day we can live happy. And we can do the things that we desire as we stroll around the country in our recreational vehicle. And the American dream has painted this thing of success which ought to be as foreign to us as this world ought to be. But except, instead, we've adapted to it. And our mind has envisioned that we can be successful Christians in that area. We can even look like the world in our success. I mean, if we have money and we have a happy family. And I'll say this on that. Most families that have a lot of money aren't happy. Except me and Dad, of course, because I already told you about how much we're making bank here at the church. But... We've allowed our minds to think that this picture that the world is painting of success, and it is a picture because there's very few cases of it. They have to create it. They have to craft it. And so we say, oh, man, I'd love to have the money. Oh, man, if I could just work for 60 years or for 45 years, and then I can retire and my company pay me, man, that would be a successful life. You know what Solomon calls this? Vanity. All is vanity. I've built me houses. I've built me vineyards. I've had me men servants and maid servants. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. You know in the same book what he says? He says, fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. You know where Solomon found happiness? It was not in his worldly success as the Queen of Sheba comes and looks and says, man, look at what you have, Solomon. It wasn't in those things. It was in his Lord and loving his Lord. That's success. And we as Christians have allowed this idea of success, and it's so false. And all the, all the while, the Lord's saying, happiness is found in me. If you remember, abundant life is found in me. Everlasting life is found in me. Joy, peace, contentment, they're all found in me, not in this old sorry world. And Christian, we have the wrong idea of success. There's a man by the name of Tim Duncan. Some of you may know who he is. He plays for the San Antonio Spurs. He plays center. When he first came into the league, he graduated from Wake Forest University, which is in uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Shout out for the woo-woo North Carolina. Yeah. That's my, that's my girl. I, I needed a kiss. She hasn't kissed me all day, so I had to give her a shout-out in the sermon. But Tim Duncan graduated from Wake Forest uh, University. That year he earned the, the Player of the Year award, uh, and, and he was the first overall pick in the draft. He came in 
for the San Antonio Spurs, and at the time he came in, there was a man by the name of David Robinson playing for uh, San Antonio, and he was their center. And so as they played together, it was very odd because they had two people that played the same position, but they had two really good people who played the same position. So David Robinson played center, and Tim Duncan, even though it was out of his position, played power forward or a number four position. And it was a strange mix, but the year that Tim Duncan came into the league, he was named Rookie of the Year. Since he has progressed in his career, and it's winding down now, he has won four NBA championships. He has won three finals MVPs. He has been elected as a NBA All-Star 11 different times, and he has two back-to-back in 2001 and 2002 NBA overall MVPs. You say, why, why, why are you talking about basketball, Brandon? You half of us don't even know what basketball is. Because I'm trying to tell you that Tim Duncan has no shoe deal. His shoe deal is uh, his team's deal, literally. His team wears the five shoes. They make one shoe for his whole team, and that's what they make. It's not Tim Duncan's shoe. It's his team's shoe. And while LeBron and Kobe and all these superstar athletes may have their shoe deals, they'll have their uh, clothing lines. Oh, Tim Duncan, he's just content working every day. I listened to the radio this week, and they said out of Tim Duncan's whole career, he had appeared in one commercial, and that commercial had his entire team in it. Successful, but our world views him as no superstar. The man's won the NBA championship. He is tied with Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, and uh, uh, one other for being the only man with three finals MVPs. And yet, our world does not view him as a success. They see LeBron and the superstar that he is. They see uh, Kobe and the superstar, so they award him with money, and they award him with shoe deals. They award him with all this. The world's perception of, of success is false. The world's perception of superstardom is false. Our world loves superstars. My God loves success stories. Ananias was just a man who was wholly committed to doing the will of the Lord. He's a success story. What a shame it is that we've allowed this idea of success to creep in. And there is no successful ministry apart from a ministry that pleases the Lord. And I don't care how big your ministry is. If you're obeying God and honoring God, you are a success. Secondly, I want you to notice this, and we're done. The magnitude of success. The magnitude of success. Now, I want you to think about where Peter is right now. In Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches to thousands. It's the day of Pentecost. And he preaches and he stands up and proclaims the word of God and thousands are saved and baptized. Next day in Acts chapter 3, he's walking through town and he heals a man, and then he has the opportunity in Acts chapter 4 to preach the gospel in front of the council. He preaches the gospel in front of men who are religious, but they don't know God. And he stands in front of men, probably hundreds of men, and preaches. Peter's preaching to thousands. Ananias is preaching to one. They're both successes. 
I want you to notice something in this chapter. I want you to notice in verse 15, chapter 9. The Bible gives Ananias a little insight into what his plan for Saul at this time. Paul eventually, verse 15, But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. The Lord says, Ananias, I've got big plans for this one. What a unique thing that he chose Ananias instead of Peter. See, it doesn't matter how good of a preacher Peter was, and I believe if you start reading some of his sermons in the book of Acts, man, he was a ripper. I mean, I'm sweating just looking at it. I've got to get a hanky out and just start waving it, reading his sermons. But Ananias was chosen for this, not Peter. Was Peter available? If you read this time in the book of Acts, Peter's on fire. But he chose Ananias. What I'm saying is, the Lord may have a plan for you that Gene Wolfenbarger could never accomplish. And that plan may just be as big, that plan may be just as impactful, although it seems lowly, although it seems like you're meeting in a back alley almost is the idea of this story, that you're just meeting in a room of a house. Whatever your plan is, if it's God's plan, it is perfect. And it's so sad to me when we have missionaries come in and they say, well, this year in Mexico City we've seen 17 saved. And we say, amen. Then we have a missionary from the Philippines come in. This year we've seen 17,000 saved. And we say, amen. And we are putting a value on souls. We're putting a value on ministry. God doesn't call everybody to see thousands saved calls everybody to ministry. And at this point, if you ask me, Ananias' ministry is more important than Peter's because he's discipling Saul. It's a shame to me how we put values on things. What a shame. You know the Bible says the angels do if one one soul in heaven uh, gets saved? The angels rejoice. Yeah, we down here, we, we barely can muster like the under the breath, amen. Amen. One soul, amen. Now, if it was 17 souls, it'd be, amen! It's just one. I mean, we had eight visitors yesterday. We passed out 800 flyers, eight visitors, amen. But if it were 80 visitors, amen! Let God decide the results. Why do we think it's our obligation to do that? You know Why? because the world's idea of success is creeping into our mind. Numbers and noses, they matter. How, how much money you have, how big it is. I promised you yesterday, when I walked into that auditorium with Brother T.L. Taylor, and I saw 80 seats out there, and I saw room for growth, and I saw expansion plans, I said, Brother T.L., you've got big enough room for, you've got parking, you can fit probably 200 people in this room Man, you've got a beautiful church, Brother T.L. I'm so excited for you because I can see your vision. You know what, Brother T.L.'s ministry is just as important as mine. It's just as important as Brother Wolfenbarger's. It's just as important as Brother Gerald's. It's a man who said, I will do the will of God for my life. I will be a success story and not a superstar. The world's desiring superstars. What we need is success stories. 
the magnitude of success. No doubt many of us have heard of the evangelist D.L. Moody. One of the most impactful evangelists ever, but certainly the one who accomplished the most in his own generation. A man of God, a preacher of the word, and we no doubt are very familiar with his name. But did you know it didn't begin with a preacher for him? He's a Sunday school teacher. That man's name was Dr. Edward D. Kimball. Just a layman, a Sunday school teacher, who took his job very, very seriously. The first Sunday that Brother D.L. Moody came into his Sunday school class, uh, Brother Kimball gave D.L. Moody a Bible and said, Today, son, we're going to be preaching out of the book of John. D.L. Moody was very new to Christianity and to church at this time, so he began like we all do, you know, the Baptist shuffle. That's what I call it, the looking for Romans in the uh, Old Testament. I know it's in here between Genesis and Psalms somewhere. And then we do the Baptist shovel. And so D.L. Moody was trying to find it. He couldn't find the book of John. The classmates that were around him began to snicker and to laugh. Dr. Kimball gave his Bible to D.L. Moody and took the Bible that he had given him before. His Bible was already open, and he gave him the Bible, and he then found John so as not to embarrass uh, this little young man by the name of D.L. Moody. He later on became burdened for the salvation of D.L. Moody. He became so burdened that it was his routine to go visit the kids that were in his class. He walked one day, found out where D.L. Moody worked. It was in a shoe shop. And Dr. Kimball walked down the street, and he was wondering in his mind whether he should go in during business hours and embarrass him in front of all his co-workers. Uh, and they said, oh, Mr. Kimball's trying to make a good boy out of you. So Mr. Kimball was kind of burdened as to when to uh, witness to Mr. Moody. This time, Moody's just a young boy. Dr. Kimball walks past the store, sees it's the store, and all at once he gets the courage to just go in and just deal with the consequences later. He walks in the store, sees Mr. Moody at the back of the store, just a little lad, working and boxing up shoes. As he comes to Moody, he puts his hand on his shoulder and begins to tell him about the love of Christ. By Mr. Kimball's own admission, he felt that it was a terrible presentation of the gospel. But Moody saw a tear in his eye. And all Kimball did that day was share the love of Christ. Now, I want to read you what Moody later said about this time of witness uh, that Mr. Kimball gave him. When I was in Boston, he said, I used to attend a Sunday school class. And one day, I recollect my teacher came around behind the counter of the shop I was at work in, put his hand on my shoulder, and talked to me about Christ and my soul. I had not felt that I had had a soul until then. I said to myself, this is a very strange thing. Here is a man who never saw me till lately, and he is weeping over my sins. I never shed a tear about them. But I understand it now. And I know what it is to have a passion for men's souls and weep over their sins. I don't remember what he said, but I can feel the power of that man's hand on my shoulder tonight. It was, long, it was not long after that I was brought into the kingdom of God. We are almost done. I want to ask you one question. 
Whose shoulder is your hand on? Who are you impacting? We hear the term ministry and we think it's this thing that is only for ministers. We think it's this thing that only people that are called to full-time ministry are supposed to partake in. The ministry is not just mine. It is yours. The ministry is sharing the blessed old story of Jesus Christ dying for this old world. That's the ministry. The ministry is hearing about a sinner who's on his way to hell and being moved with compassion over them so as that you pray, you can't help but weep over their salvation. That's the ministry. The ministry is not a nine-to-five job. The ministry is not something that you come and do on Saturday. The ministry is a lifestyle of people selling out and obeying the Lord Jesus Christ and the great commission that is laid on our hearts and the great commission that is laid on our platter. It is the Lord's will that you share the gospel. It is not His desire. It is His uh, impactful admission. It is His will that you share the gospel. Whose hand... Whose shoulder is your hand upon? Too many Christians go through this life so selfish, only concerned about getting day to day, getting through their own life. If Ananias had done that, we would not have Romans. If Ananias had not done that, we would not have had instructions for the New Testament church. Ananias was no preacher. He was just an obedient minister. Just a disciple called and a disciple that obeyed. Today it's on your plate. Today the challenge lays at your feet. The question is not whether he's calling. The question is, will you obey the call? 